This is Death Watch, which was the monthly podcast where we eulogized one of the greats who had recently passed by watching some of their work that we weren't previously familiar with. My name is Matt Brown. I am Matthew Brown. Uh, hey! And, hey, how you, how you uh, how's your apartment? My apartment's <laughs> great. How's yours? Uh, it's a house, but it's good. <laughs> well, yeah, your house. Yeah. I mean, so this, this is episode 30 of Death Watch, and this is going to be unusual in two ways. The first, I don't know if you can detect this listener just by <laughs> what's what's been coming into your ear holes for the last minute. Uh, Mr. Price and I, since the beginning, since we started podcasting 15 years, since we invented podcasting 15 years ago, we have hated doing virtual podcasts. We have always liked to be across the table from one another. We tried to do one in, I want to say, late 2005, where you were on a boat. And oh, it was I remember. A oh man! Well, yeah, that's fifteen <laughs> years ago. I like how you, you we got burned once in two thousand five, right. and yeah. you were like, "Never again." And then we never that's went back and did it again. Never and, went yeah, back. I was. So we like to was I on a boat? Crazy. I think I was in a in an internet cafe in Rome. Maybe I thought you were on a cruise or something, or maybe well, the then, cruise. But we were making stops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we tried from yeah. the boat. That didn't work. Hey guys, right. you know what sucks? Wi-Fi on a boat. Terrible. Yeah, it's 2005. Yeah, yeah. Forget and then, it. and then we tried. <laughs> right. And then I went into. I had one day in Rome, and I was like, "Let me take part of that day and record a podcast." Record a podcast, <laughs> which, as I recall, we didn't even end up using because it was just oh, no, so it was, weird. It was unusable. <laughs> anyway, so point is, we don't like to do it this way, but we we've had no choice because. Uh, pestilence and plague have descended upon the planet earth and no one's allowed to be anywhere near each other right now so as 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 you just said in spite of our joking repeatedly on this podcast for most of its life about our own deaths uh the grim reaper's sickle is hanging over the earth right now <laughs> and we can't do our show in front of each other so it's virtual um, and then thing too is that just by matter of chance, this is also the last one. Not because either of us have coronavirus yet, but because we decided we were going to call it off at episode thirty, and, and yeah. that's what this one is. Yeah, I mean, we're all going to get it eventually, I see. And, yeah, uh, you know, if you're discovering this podcast somehow in you know ten years from now, yeah, uh, as a as a distraction from the hellscape, uh, yep. it was all we were still in the phase of this where it was fun to joke about it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So cast your minds back somehow to the absolute asininery of the fact that we thought it was funny. On yeah. any level. <laughs> Absolutely. On any think, level. Yes. Think back future person to the absolute devastation this wrought across the entire yeah. population of the earth. Whole economies as you, failing. As you great hold, industries yeah, yeah, just disintegrating. Yeah. yeah. As you, yeah, we were as joking you, about it. As you dig out a uh, and excavate an old uh, supermarket and find the only thing left on the shelves is a can of Hearts of Palm. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, bingo, I eat tonight. Yeah. Yeah. One of my <laughs> friends uh, is a still an enormous fan of The Simpsons, and he's one of those guys who just quotes it constantly. And I was like, Adam, at least your wadded beef jokes are relevant again. <laughs> <laughs> So, anywho, um, yeah. we're recording this episode on April 2nd, 2020. It'll be in your feed tomorrow, April 3rd. And then there will never be another Death Watch ever again. So, why is this the last one? Well, first of all, we all may die. But, <laughs> as I said, 
last last time. I also just, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I just wanted to uh, retire from podcasting. And, you know, without without me, ironically, without, I was going to say without me, you wouldn't know how to find the switchboard. But you are the engineer on this yeah, episode. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm so happy this. about that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's but great. also, yeah, for sure. But, uh, but also, yeah, I mean, I, I will do, I, so about four years ago, I went into sort of semi-retirement from movies, which was my yeah. thing. And I I kind of walked away a little bit from the obsessiveness with movies. And uh, so I, I guess I get to spend the next year saying to you what everyone said to me, which was, you walked away from podcasting? What's that about? Yes. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to hear that. I was going to announce it on an episode, like without having told you before. I was going to say, so I made a decision. But, yeah. you know, I decided no, what, I would what never... canon is enough for that yeah. joke. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. No, uh, and I think it's great. We need up. to move on with our lives. And yeah. part of... Part of the idea of Death Watch is like, you know, change is like this inevitable part That's of life. Right. And, and I think it's good. I think it's good. Absolutely. Congrats. Uh, before we go to the regular parts of our show, just open up the old Death Watch mailbag for a second. I wanted to point out that uh, Dan Gorman said hello earlier this evening. He wants us. He's, he mentioned someone to talk about in roll call who I can't imagine we're not going to talk about in roll call. So I'll just leave it at that. And our old friend of the show, Vishnu, also popped in, said hello. Yeah. Uh, nice to hear from some of our folks. I, I also wanted to take this opportunity. I honestly don't know if I've ever thanked him on the show before. I wanted to thank Malcolm Gilderdale, who, like, two and a half years ago, wrote our theme song. Just was like, you want some music? And, like, literally 45 minutes later, sent me the file of the uh, of the theme song. So, That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, bless him for, for doing that. Um, the subject today is uh, the movies, which have... <laughs> They're perhaps not died, but oh boy, they're life on support. the critical list. They're on life support. <laughs> things are things are not looking good there. We'll we, get to yeah. that in a minute. But before we get to that, though, we've got to do we've got to do one last roll call. Roll call. Oh, it's roll call. It so is. Look, before we even, and I don't even know if we want to do this because the at least the somehow the theme of this thing, this is prior to what's been going on. And the sort of complete shutdown of the economy. Uh-huh. Before that even happened, we were being, I would say, battered in Toronto in terms of iconic and special places that we used to go. Yeah. Either through Mamo or not. But like we had many places that we used to go uh, to eat and to record. And so my pick for my movie was based on that. So before we even talk about, this is not the places that may not make it because of COVID-19 and the, and the shutdown yeah. of the economy. There are going to be a lot more beloved places that don't emerge from this uh, craziness of like perhaps three or six or 12 months of not operating. But prior mm-hmm. to that, we lost the big slice, uh, dangerous Dan's, uh, rashers the, the bacon sandwich restaurant yeah, oh. fantastic. Uh, so yeah. kanga the meat pie yep place can't even say meat they pie do still exist anymore. they just closed their their street level storefront okay all right yeah uh, grinder well, i mean coffee. they did exist before this started i mean who yeah, fucking knows? Yeah. <laughs> grinder coffee kaplanski's yep which you know kaplanski's deli was kind of maybe like our place i don't know it was certainly like yeah. super important I mean, for a good long while that was mamo's home base yeah, yeah. Um, the tulip, which was another you know iconic yep. Toronto greasy spoon, and 
Uh, and then a, a couple of Chinese restaurants that are incredibly important to sort of Toronto's uh, history, Lee Garden, uh, Pearl Court, and Sea uh, High. So if yeah. you grew up in North York, or anywhere north of Eglinton, you knew about Sea High. Was the I mean, they've shot movies, tons of movies in Sea High. I'm pretty sure, uh, what's the uh, David Cronenberg movie with the Russian mob? Uh, Eastern Promises. Yeah, I think there's a scene yeah. in Eastern Promises where they go to like a iconic sort of Chinese restaurant. That's Sea High. So hmm. we, we lost all these places. And then there's a million more to come because we don't know what's going to happen. But that was, that yeah, was we, this, the... this episode was going to be about restaurants. We were going to just yeah. do restaurants. Yeah. Um, and then COVID, I mean, COVID was already coming at that point, but I don't think any of us saw how bad it was going to be. No. And so we I just, just wanted to like, call well, that out before we like jumped into the people that we lost. Yeah, yeah. You know, I thought, man, that's, you know, that was that was kind of where we were originally going. So mm -hmm. uh, do you want to talk about the movies that we picked before we get into Roll Call or you just want to do Sure. I mean, so, I mean, I picked last night for no reason at the time other than that I've never seen it. I thought it would be funny for the last episode to do last night. Um, we'll talk about <laughs> it. I, do you want to talk about them now or do you want to talk about them at the usual slot later in the show? Because let me tell you something. Look, let me tell you something right now. Last night, I'm sure, is a very good movie most of the time. Yeah, but, but right now, eerie. that thing slaps the ass off the world. Yeah, like that is a fucking movie. masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, and I mean, yeah. again, like I don't, I honestly don't know if it would have hit as hard as as it did. No, it's a month ago. We're literally but, living it now, so let's leave it. But you know, you did last night, and because of the restaurants thing, and I, but I think it is weirdly sort of end of the world ish. I did the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover. Which yep. is as apocalyptic a vision of the world as you can imagine. So anyway, <laughs> we'll get we'll get to great. all that later in the yeah, show. Yeah, we'll get they to just, those. Yeah, know, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, okay, so let's just quickly run through. This is pre-COVID. So as I started to collect these names, this has been a really interesting month. Beginning of the month, no, none of the causes of death were what's going on. By the end of the month, they yeah. all were, and it was this weird transition. So uh, right off the hop, we lost Clive Cussler. Uh, amazing author wrote the Dirk uh, books that uh, they tried to turn into a franchise for Matthew McConaughey. Uh, yep. Raise the Titanic, he wrote. <laughs> That's just which, a hell of a thing. It is a crazy movie. And is, <laughs> it, it, I believe it has my favorite line about a movie ever. Raise the Titanic went way over budget. Yeah. And the producer of the movie, uh, Lord Lou Grade, famously said it would have been cheaper to lower the ocean. Correct. Yeah, fantastic. Anyway, we lost Lee Bell, who is one of the co-creators of The Young and the Restless and Bold and the Beautiful. Uh, and, you know, like probably, I would say, arguably the most important soap opera person who ever lived. Uh, mathematician Freeman Dyson, uh, who did a lot of stuff uh, in quantum electromechanics, solid state physics. My favorite thing he did is uh, kind of came up with the concept of the Dyson Sphere. Yeah, absolutely. The Dyson Which, Sphere. Everyone remembers okay. the Dyson Sphere. Do you know what the Dyson Sphere is? Well, I mean, I only know it because of the Scotty episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where they find one. Well, it's amazing. You know, yeah. if you just put a uh, cover on a star all the way yeah. around, you could harvest all the energy from it and essentially live forever. It's great. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, Joe Colomb, who was Trader Joe, was the founder of Trader yeah. Joe's, and he passed away. Uh, Nick Apollo Forte, who was uh, a, a singer and a musician and was 
played kind of like a washed up Sinatra esque singer in Broadway, Danny Rose, and he is phenomenal. And oh. it's a it's a world class performance, and I'm really sad that he passed away. Uh, GE Chairman Jack Welch, kind of the most I would say the most important figure in business in the last half century. Uh, James Lipton. Yeah, yeah. James Lipton. He checked out right before everything went to shit, didn't he? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's you know, I I don't know how many how many times have you watched an episode of uh, Inside the Actor Studio? Like it's you know formative, right? A million. I mean, how many of yeah. my how many of anything I've done that is broadcasty in nature, including my podcasts, have I wished I was that guy? Yeah, yeah, just a genius. Yeah. Uh, Ros- Rosalind P. Walter, who was the inspiration for Rosie the Riveter. Oh. The song was written about her because she was oh. working in a plant in wartime and her name is Rosie. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Jacques uh, Leibowitz, who was a doctor, clinical researcher, and uh, he is the person who originated the idea of triple combination therapy, which essentially saved the lives of millions of people with HIV. Hmm. Um, Barbara Richardson, who was one of the original members of the Supremes. Oh. Uh, yeah. And this is all pre-COVID, guys. This Notice is all pre-COVID. We haven't even caught up. Yeah, yeah. We're getting there. Uh, CC, the uh, American cat who was the first cloned pet. <laughs> that's, that's, he was 18. That's why he was wow. named CC. Because he came out of a test tube. Oh, that's nice. Isn't that cute? Yeah. Wait, how long uh, was the cat that he was cloned for? How long did the cat he was cloned from live? Well, I don't know. I, I think it was, know. I think it passed away, which is why they cloned him, right? Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Like, I mean, you could yeah. just have an endless supply of these things if they're always good for 18 years and you know exactly sure. when you need to order another one. That's, that's right. <laughs> and you can buy it online, so it's still open right now. That's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, Henri Richard, the pocket rocket. Younger brother of Maurice Richard, great hockey player, um, great great part of Quebec history. Uh, jazz pianist McCoy Tyner died, uh, and weirdly, because I've been watching movies from around the seventies, and I I had watched uh, the the Boys in the Band. Yeah. Like, have you seen that movie? No. That was a good movie. The first hmm. sort of like openly gay characters in a in an American drama first on stage then in film the play, the playwright mark crowley died like days after i watched the movie wow it was weird like i just watched him in the extras on the movie and then and then read about his death his passing like right after that so um, it's, it's your a, fault it is i did it yeah yeah uh max max von Cito. yeah yeah like guys if this show hadn't have been about what this show is about yeah pretty sure it would have been about max von Cito. Yeah, and also, arguably, if the man who played chess with death had not, you know, if he if he dies, this show can't exist anymore anyway. Right. That's it. Yeah. yeah. We're done. Yeah. Yeah. Man, uh, there's like, there's no, there's no top on the number of roles that that guy is exceptional in. No. It's, you know, like, it's crazy. I went through his honestly, list that day, and it's just like, there's no movie where I was ever less than thrilled to see him show up. A hundred percent. I've been taught. I've been. I've been whining ad nauseum for five years that they didn't do enough with them in Star Wars. Like, <laughs> see, I'm glad you said that because I. I literally, when you texted me that morning, I wanted to write back and be like, "So now you're never going to find out what was happening yeah. with him in Star Wars." <laughs> <laughs> Fucking goddamn it! Uh, 
<laughs> but yeah, incredible, incredible actor. And also, like, you know, he died, so we finally know how old he is. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, like right. I don't understand that guy's genealogy. He, he'll do a movie in 1965 where he looks 100, then he does one in 1975 where he looks 20. I don't, yeah, there's no, true. what is the, I don't get it. Beyond uh, me. Yeah, he's the genius, right? Incredible. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we, we probably quote from him, not weekly, but very regularly in my house. We quote from from his uh, performance in Hannah and Her Sisters. My wife will turn oh. around. My wife will turn around and just say, you've been kissing someone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah. For, weirdly, the Max von Sydow quote that I use quite a lot is from the Ridley Scott Robin Hood. Where he just says, please take a bath, sir. You stink. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, guys, go watch Three Days of the Condor. That's sure. What I'm saying. Like, then watch Strange Brew. Like, if you didn't pull out oh, Strange Oh, yeah, no. Strange Brew was great. It. But, like, Three oh, Days man. of the Condor, man alive. He's so fucking terrifying in it. It's great. Uh, okay, we lost someone close to my family, but incredibly just significant person anyway uh, um, Earl Pomerantz um, so a lot of people may or may not have heard of Earl Earl was uh, grew up with uh, went to school with my parents uh, mm -hmm. came from Toronto but um, uh, was the younger brother of Hart Pomerantz who uh, was Lauren Michaels partner when he was in Canada and was uh, was on the Hart and Lauren Terrific Hour Earl was a comedy writer he went to New York to start to do stand up and eventually started writing scripts for sitcoms. He wrote seminal episodes for Mary Tyler Moore, The New Heart Show, Taxi. He uh, developed and created series like Major Dad, Family Man, and maybe one of the best shows ever. There's only one season of it. Tracy Walter is in it. It's a comedy Western called Best of the West, which is really hysterical. Yeah, hysterical. He wrote huh. the episode of Amazing Stories called Mummy Daddy, which is maybe the funniest half hour of anything I have ever seen. Uh, he, he wrote for the first two seasons of The Cosby Show. He wrote the episode with Rudy's Fish. Um, Whoa. Yeah, right? Wow. He wrote Cheers. He wrote Newhart. He won two Primetime Emmy Awards. He was an all-around mensch. And uh, if you want to get a look at him, he's one of my dad's co-stars in Cannibal Girls. <laughs> so <laughs> which listeners you should watch anyway yeah it's great yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but he's my dad uh um, alan gordon and earl pomerantz are the three doofuses who get killed in the prologue section of cannibal <laughs> girls it's terrific uh yeah yeah he's the short guy with the glasses i don't know if you sure remember knows. the movie that well anyway not that well uh, but yeah yeah anyway i was really sad to see him go and and uh, we obviously i'm not like a closely connected with him but he was an important guy to my folks but also just an incredibly uh valuable and influential writer in in uh in television so uh so getting back to the list sorry uh johnny yoon who uh, played the lead in they call me bruce and they still call me bruce huh it's a south korean uh, actor who yeah. uh, physical comedian who kind of like fell into this thing where he was parodying this idea that he looked like bruce lee uh, uh, and then we're coming right up to COVID, but before we do, uh, Lal Wagner died. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Carol Burnett, but also Steve Trevor on Wonder Woman. Yep. But also Carol Burnett, because holy crap, so funny. Sure. Like, just so willing to make fun of himself. He's great. Uh, Playboy Magazine folded up. 
I think that's my first actual COVID casualty as we lost Playboy mm-hmm. magazine, right? Uh, Kenny Rogers. Who, uh, it's been yes. said, but must be repeated, yeah. knew when to hold him. He knew when to hold him. him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, still on the topic of music, Eric Weisberg, who was a banjo player and is the person who played dueling banjos in the, on the Deliverance soundtrack. Wow. Yeah. And that song, by the way, was released as a single and hit number two in the U.S. and Canada. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just thinking about the cultural specificity of how it's used in the movie. And then people are like, this is a good song. And it went to like the top of the chart. (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. Um, The first one on here that's an official coronavirus uh, uh, death is uh, playwright Terrence McNally. Mm-hmm. Uh, wrote primarily uh, he wrote he wrote straight plays he wrote Love, Valor, Compassion came, came to prominence for uh, Frankie and Johnny and the Claire de Lune which has there's a wonderful movie version of that with Michelle Pfeiffer and Al Pacino um, but then he started writing books for, for musicals he wrote the book for Ragtime for Kiss of the Spider Woman uh, for the, the full Monty anyway and he was taken uh, March 24th uh, by coronavirus Um Somewhere in there, we also lost Albert Uderzo, who was the uh, co-creator and the artist for Asterix and Obelix. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stuart Gordon, filmmaker, reanimator, and yeah. uh, also co-writer of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he, Stuart Gordon and Brian Yuzna co-wrote the original story for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I think mm. they were trying to produce it themselves, and Disney bought it from them. Like, right. I suspect it was supposed to be way more gruesome. Before, before before Disney got a hold of it. Hey, um, man, make that movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, um, uh, DP uh, uh, Alfio Contini, who was a cinematographer, he worked primarily with uh, Lucio Fulci, Liliana Cavani. He did The Night Porter and Ripley's Game for her. And uh, Michelangelo Antonioni, he, he shot uh, Zabriskie Point and Beyond the Clouds. Uh, okay, this is. I just want to take a side one. This is just a fun one. Uh, Robert Levinson, who was a CIA agent, mm-hmm. his death was announced on, uh, like, the end of March. He disappeared March 9th, 2007. Oh, wow. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. He was on a mission for the CIA. His family received a $2.5 million annuity from the CIA in order to stop a lawsuit revealing details of his work in Iran. And to forecast uh, and to forestall any revelation of details regarding the arrangement between Levinson and the agency, he may have been held captive by the Iranian government. No one actually knows for sure. <laughs> and then wow. they were like, "Oh, hey guys, he died." <laughs> 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 so that's like as close as I think a human being gets to being like a movie, right? Like, yeah, that's great. Anyway, uh, character actor Mark Blum, who was. Uh, in Desperately Seeking Susan, he was the bad guy in Crocodile Dundee. Uh, he he was uh, taken by coronavirus. Really wonderful character actor. He's only 69. Um, Curly, Fred Curly Neal from the Harlem Globetrotters. Mm-hmm. So are you, I was a Harlem Globetrotters kid. Are you too young? Nope. Did you go see the Harlem Globetrotters when you were growing up? No, sir. I could not have been more enthralled. I loved the Harlem, I don't even like sports, but I loved the Harlem Globetrotters. I loved mm-hmm. the tricks, all the basketball stuff. I was obsessed with it, with that idea. I was obsessed with the fact that the team had been 
uh, created by a Jewish guy and I was Jewish and I felt like I was connected to it. All of the <laughs> stuff. I was, I was obsessed with the idea that you could play a sports type of uh, game, but always know what the outcome would be. Mm -hmm. Like, like I was like almost the way I think people like professional wrestling, like, like that yeah. there's this sense of like, well, it is technically there's sports elements to it, but we already know the winner. And right. how does that work? And especially for like a seven year old, I remember being like, well, how does that work? What if the other team actually went? like it never mm -hmm. occurred to me that it was like very possible to just kind of script it out and and still make it look fun and whatever. And I just I saw the home go Fighters twice growing up and they were. Uh, they were really important to me, and I, I just I remember loving them. Um, so yeah, so he and Curly was the by far Curly Neal and Metalark Lemon were the guys, the funniest. Uh, there's a Harlem Globetrotters cartoon. Curly Neal was bald, which is why he's called Curly. His superpower in the cartoon was that he could turn into a basketball because <laughs> he's bald. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's silly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, film comment. Yeah. It's on well, I mean, they they have they not might be fine. They have yeah. not called time of death on that one, but no, it's not looking good. Not looking good. Uh, yeah. Harriet Glickman, who was a school teacher, who wrote a letter to Charles Schultz uh, in 1968 and said, "Can you please put a black character in Peanuts?" And because of her, uh, he created Franklin. Mm. Yeah. And then he said, apparently he said that some of the Southern newspapers were like, okay, you can have Franklin, just don't put him in the same school with the other kids. <laughs> and he, he had already put out strips where Franklin is sitting behind Peppermint Patty. So he was like, so I just ignored them. Right. Yeah. It's it just, I think that's such a neat thing that like a person could write to Charles Schultz and be like, have you thought about this? And then it actually like that kind of representation happened. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, songwriter Alan Merrill, who wrote, I love rock and roll and is the first person to perform it before Joan Jett. Mm. Uh, he died from, from coronavirus. Uh, mm -hmm. David Schramm, who played Roy Biggins on Wings, passed away at the age of 73. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Not related to COVID nineteen, just just uh, no, passed away. But, but like, great actor, great funny performance. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, you know, real. And nobody talks about Wings anymore. That's just not no, it's on a funny. Any... That's a, such a good it's show. A good show, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Salub. Oh my God, he was Salub great. Was great. He was dominant yeah, on that. Thomas Aiden Church was great on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. Um, and then maybe you want to talk more about this, but Andrew Jack, who was uh, in, in the Star Wars franchise and was a Hollywood dialect coach. I don't know if you have any sort of not like really. I mean, he's like, like he's barely in the movies, but like he's the he's what people latched onto. He's the silver fox in the uh, the resistance, and he's he's memorable because he's in both the Force Awakens and the Last Jedi. But he's memorable because in the Last Jedi, everyone's in the trench on crate. They're all hiding, and then he just gets up, walks out of the trench, and starts like surveying the landscape with his binoculars. I don't know. By all accounts, he was a really nice guy. Like John Boyega yeah. wrote a really lovely thing about him on Instagram, and. You know, I'm just like, ah, oh, come on. Like, what a what a yeah. lovely character presence that guy was. Yeah, and again, like, not very old and taken by the no. by this weird yeah. disease. Uh, the last two, the same. Um, Adam Schlesinger, who was uh, co-founder of uh, Fountains of Wayne, wrote or co-wrote almost all the songs on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and that's like 180 songs. Um, mm -hmm. 
wrote the song for that thing you do. Yeah, so that's the thing that I knew him, knew of, like, of him. It's wild watching people react to this, because, I mean, I feel like a bit of an asshole, because I just genuinely... I was never found guy, and I didn't even know that it was the same guy. But like the song in that thing you do, it's like, how do you write a song and go, "This is the most popular song in the world," and then you write that song, and the audience goes, "Oh yeah, I buy it." Yeah, yeah. Not only right? this is the most popular song in the world, but this is a song. This is a one-hit wonder. There's no coming back from this song. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like it and is just still the, wrote, how do you yeah. write? How do you engineer like yeah. the Smash Mouth song on purpose? You know, yeah. like yeah. it's. Such an achievement! Hey man, a they got of a writing. lot of hits. Smash Mouth. Yeah. Not a oh, anyway, shut sorry. Up. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, Smash Mouth. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then like just like a couple days ago, Ellis Marsalis, who yeah. uh, father to Winton and Brant- Brantford Marsalis, uh, you know, again, like only I mean, eighty-five, not not young, but you know, probably could have kept going for a while. Caught this yep. illness and and didn't make it. So yeah, that's roll call, guys. That's, that's roll call. Man, if we had left it another two weeks, this would have been a lot worse. Like I can't even imagine. A lot, it's yeah, gonna a lot be, longer. Yeah. Can I say what I'm gonna miss or not miss, but like it's a weird thing to let go of? I don't need to check the obituaries every day after this. I mean, that's yeah. something I've been doing for the last two years. Yeah. Right? It's it's like a go to link. When I just go online, one of the things I do on the regular is I check the obituaries. And I, I don't yeah. have to and do I've it, gotten, and I like, don't know if I'm going to be able to stop. Well, I mean, you could just become one of those guys. I, I think I did become one of those guys without yeah. realizing it. I but am I mean, one I've of those got guys. this weird muscle memory where, like, every morning when I open up Twitter, if I see that anyone has died, I immediately cross-post it to the Death Watch account. Like, it just, right. I don't even need to, like, think about it. It's just that like my thumbs right. do it on their own. R.I.P. this person. So I don't know exactly when the Death Watch account will stop operating oh, I, but i say regardless of podcasting you just go on with that forever <laughs> oh i don't know if i need to do that that seems <laughs> seems ghastly also again for the next few months a lot of work yeah 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 we're the aggrieved party yeah yeah it's yeah, us absolutely we're the, no we're the ones us. this is just yeah. killing us yeah this yeah. is our problem yeah yeah okay yeah so <laughs> to come to the subject at hand for the show before we do the movies like the specific movies we watched we wanted to talk talk about the death of movie going (laughs) which weirdly enough i think as you and i both said uh offline you know when we when we called it on mammo whenever that was like eight or nine years ago we started saying that the that movie going as we know it would end in the 20s we were, uh, you know, here's our moment to say we were absolutely correct. And everyone who said that we weren't correct was wrong. What none of us had in that particular horse race was a global pandemic as the inciting incident. Definitely like, not. What? <laughs> <laughs> somebody somebody was saying today online that was in I was in a discussion and they were like, man, next year's Oscars is going to have to have like its own section in the memoriam just for this virus. And I was yeah. like, I was like, how are we going to have next year's Oscars? We not we may not have movies again until well past this year. Like, yep. if theaters don't open up again this year, then what are they going to do the Oscars based on January and fucking February? They're not going to do it. There won't yeah. be an Oscars show. Yeah. What, what are they going to talk about? Well, I mean, what they could do, obviously, is just change the eligibility requirements. Finally, they could. But, but like, right. that's, like, it's possible. That's, it just doesn't even happen. that's the end of movies. If they do yeah. like 
even that is basically me you know the whole point of movies as this separate entity is there are things you go to a movie theater to watch yeah you know so that's Otherwise, a little bit of what i want to yeah that's what i want to talk about today so yeah just to do a little bit of the you know so basically what we're proposing is this is the last episode of death watch and 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 of our podcasting careers <laughs> so <laughs> we decided we can do whatever the fuck we want so this is going to be a bit of a mammo death watch mashup uh what did i call it a death whammo yeah a death whammo um so That's for right anyone who hasn't it. heard the story till now, uh, again, like right in the in the couple of years after Avatar, we started saying movies. Well, not just us; many people started saying movies are going to basically split. Right, like the middle the middle class of movies is going to die, which it has, by the way. Um, yep. There will still be huge event property movies of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Avatar, Star Wars type. Those will still exist, and then. The, all of the little guys, we didn't know at the time where they were going to go, but then as soon as Netflix became a concern in like 2014, 2015, it was like, well, that's what's going to happen to those guys. They're going to go to uh, streaming, you know? And now the streaming wars are in, in full full swing. Uh, and the second this this closure of movie theaters was announced, movie, theater, movie studios did what we all could have easily expected them to do, which is they said, well, we don't need distribution windows anymore. We're just going to start putting our property directly into VOD instead yeah. of rescheduling it way down the line. Now, yeah. obviously, large movies are still being scheduled down the line. Just today, they announced Top Gun 2 is now a Christmas 2020 movie. Wonder Woman got pushed back. Black Widow got pushed back. That's great. But all of the little guys, everything who is small between March and, well, you know, probably the end of the summer is just going to go on to streaming. Yeah. And not just small, medium. Like the yes. one thing we didn't predict when we were talking about this was we were like, oh, it's the death of medium-sized movies. It's not the death of medium-sized movies. It turns out streaming can support medium-sized movies, and that's where they wound up. Yeah. So, like, there are plenty of films on Netflix with budgets in the forty, fifty million dollar range. Yeah, and absolutely. and and we were like worried that those movies would just disappear altogether because that's a solid type of movie, mm -hmm. you know. And we were like, well, the economics on that don't make sense. Thank God it does now make sense, and we get to see. People make films that don't have to be gigantic, but don't have to be eensy weensy either. Like, yeah, it's in we're not talking about the death of films. We know there will be films. Like, yes. <laughs> if anything, there will be more films. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> right? That's not it. We're talking about this, this experience, this idea. Yeah. It's it's going to, you know, be very difficult for everybody. Yeah. And I mean, it was funny when we started talking like this, we got a lot of pushback from people who said we were wrong and I'm always happy to be told that I'm wrong. But at the time I remember reflecting offline and probably to you that a lot of those comments were not people grappling with the idea we were presenting, which was that the industry itself would self-destruct and that the, the, the habit, the practice of communally going to many movies would crater. But it was the you know that their thing because they were cinephiles, they were movie fans, they were people who listened to Mamo, they were people who were like us. They couldn't you know psychologically grapple with the idea that their thing wasn't important enough to last forever. Yeah. And we kept saying nothing's important enough to last forever. Like there's nothing gets to be the dominant art form the, forever. You know, let's let's go back to 2001 and tell people that there aren't going to be any more record stores. Yeah. There just aren't going to be any more records. You would have had people going out of their minds 
What yep. do you mean? I go to the record store every week. What are you talking about? Yeah, like, absolutely. Guys, there were and stores, physical stores that sold music. Yeah. That's all they did. That's all they <laughs> what did. What are you talking about? <laughs> and what's really interesting, that's actually a really good analogy because one, so I work for TIFF um, and I'm not going to try to spill any trade secrets or stuff like that. And I, you know, I, I believe that organizations like TIFF, both as a festival and as a, as an art house movie theater, they're going to be fine. They're going to continue just fine. But one of the things that we have started because, you know, obviously movie going is now confronting the same challenge that the movie and the music industry confronted 20 years ago. We started looking at the complete narrative of the change of the music industry. Back when Napster was a thing and physical media for music was falling apart and movie and record stores were closing, everyone thought it was the end of the fucking industry. And it's like, no, it was never going to be the industry, the industry. They just found a different way to sell the same stuff that was yep. more in line with what customers wanted. The music industry makes more money now than it ever did. It just had a rough five or six years as it converted into a digital medium. And once it was digital, it was fine, right? Like, it's fine. And the same yeah, thing I, will happen to movies. I would even take the analogy further because I think the way that... So it's one thing to say that people make music just as much as they ever did, which they absolutely probably do more so, right? Because it's the tools sure. to make the music have been democratized to the point where almost anybody can do it. And big, big, big musical acts like Billie Eilish and... and uh, um, uh, Sia and all kinds of acts start as like people in their basements, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, and, and um, I cannot remember her name, but Elon Musk's partner, who is like a huge, sort of like huge megastar as a musician, like came from Vancouver and like made the music in her house. Like, this is now a thing that people do. So it's not yeah. that people aren't making music, but the way they make money is by mounting tours, which are incredibly expensive to attend. Yeah, they they make money in the same way we're talking about movies making money, which is that they've shrunk down where the money comes in to these big mega events. And that's what's going to mm -hmm. happen with films. Absolutely. Right? I mean, maybe yeah, not I mean, to the same scale. Like, I think we'll see. I think we'll see movies, you know, hit to sort of like the thirty dollar range. But I don't think we'll see a movie where you have to pay a hundred dollars to see a movie like that's just not going to be the same. No I, I you know, I think the experience right isn't because, as far off. Right. Like, a concert uh, yeah. Is and also because different. Right. And a movie, it's like, you know, if you're going to take a family, there has to be a top on how much that entire experience costs. Right. If every ticket is 100 bucks, you're never going to take your family to see even Avengers Endgame if it's going right. to cost seven hundred dollars. You do might it. do it once every three years. Right. And but I just right. don't see that being practical. So there'll be some mitigation films. Films will still be cheaper than other forms of entertainment, but they'll yeah. be more than they are now for sure. Yeah. What I'm wondering. So one of the things that you know, I won't I won't name names, but I do squarely place a certain monopolistic tendency in the mainstream exhibitors uh, to I've talked about this on Mammo in the past who have basically completely eradicated the customer experience of what is ultimately a brick and mortar business. I blame them wholeheartedly for the fact that in this decade, the mainstream moviegoer will not give a shit in most cases about whether they stay at home to watch a movie or yeah. get to go to the Scotiabank yeah. Theater, for example. Yeah. What they, I do the, think the, we the might see... The regular movie going is so degraded that it doesn't even... Yeah. Happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What I am interested in seeing is I wonder if in the next 10 years we will actually see a resurgence in the mainstream of single screen theaters where the screens are enormous. Like basically every theater becomes a one screen theater, but that screen is an IMAX screen, you know? 
like where you're yeah. just trying yeah. to demonstrate that visual difference between Netflix and you to such an extent that you don't need 15 screens in a building anymore. You just need the one that everybody goes to. Yeah. And back to yeah. this idea of it, of it becoming, you know, less, less affordable, but more special. I think actually what you'll see is the, the big conglomerate companies who are in exhibition will eventually just bow out. Like, I think they just won't make it. I don't, if I, if I had stock right now in AMC or Cineplex, I would be very nervous. Yeah. Very nervous. Right. Well, if I mean, I it's just, ironic. Perhaps, right. Before, per, yeah. I was going to say, perhaps if I had just completed, say, a very expensive merger where I had just purchased <laughs> a giant movie theater chain, I would be very nervous about doing yeah. so. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. But I, but what I wonder is if the types of people that will get into theatrical exhibition are actually going to come more from the world of live theater, where yeah. the idea is to build one very large venue that's quite grand and then charge quite a bit more for tickets and have one show per night and kind of yeah. like that's the model and, you know, and have films have intermissions and sell pop, sell concessions and wine and like do like. You know, there is there is a version of this that's a lot more like the version of kind of big live theater. And then the question becomes, how many cities can actually support? Like if I live in anything but a major market, I'm not going to have a movie theater at all, perhaps. Yeah, right? so that's the other reason this is going to this is going to take if if AMC shutters, like just doesn't make it, then. Uh, you know, there are going to be many, many places in North America that don't have a movie theater at all. Yep. Right. And, and I mean, same will... with Cineplex. I don't think Cineplex is going to shutter, but it could. But if it does, you know, they've done a great job in the last 20 years of basically dominating the Canadian marketplace. So if yep. they're gone, there are a lot of places in Canada where there is not a movie theater within 100 kilometers of your house. Yeah, exactly. And that's it. You just yeah. watch. That's it. You, the streaming war is officially over. Streaming one, and you're never going to a movie theater again, which is yeah. a crazy you idea. Just, you can just tell your kids, or you go on a trip, right? Yeah. Oh, let's go to the big city on a trip with my family, yeah. and one of the things I'll do, we're going to go see a movie in a movie yeah. theater, right? Yeah. It'll be like a big deal. <clears throat> yeah. So then the other two things that I think could grow out of that that aren't major single-screen theaters is – uh, one of which is the thing that we're already seeing, which is this weird, and I'm not entirely convinced successful <laughs> practice of group watching stuff that you are watching at home. It is very heartwarming to me that as a community yeah. and as a people, the first thing every movie person wanted to do after this started was to have some sort of online virtual movie theater. And there are technologies that allow that now, and I'm sure there will be more and more and yep. more. And there will become there will there will be a language that will develop around how to do that effectively. And that's and, kind of touching, even if it's an awful way to watch a movie. Yeah, I mean, we're as we record this, 13 minutes from now, during our recording, there are going to be a bunch of our friends watching the Blue Lagoon. Oh, great! <laughs> as part of Time Bandits. Oh. I yeah. didn't know Time Bandits is doing... Oh, that's great. I didn't know that. That yeah. sounds terrific. They're doing a live screening of Blue Lagoon uh, on this very evening at 9 p.m. And it is right now at wow. 8.48. <laughs> so, yeah. That's great. And I mean, and I like stuff like that. Like, I like the grassrootsiness of that. And then the other thing that that makes me think of is uh, the movie from Midnight Madness at TIFF last year, Crazy World, where 
you know, in 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 Africa, you would just throw a, a sheet up in the town square and watch a movie and have someone live narrate it and do the sound effects and stuff like that. And it's yeah. like that could also be the future of movies where it's like it's not about the exhibition. It's not about the mainstream product. It's about again more to that community theater style of guys. Let's just put on a show. Let's yeah. just get together and put on a show. And yeah. I don't think that's going away either. Yeah, no, and uh, like we're not saying you know the culture is in trouble. It's just changing. And, yeah, and I actually think in a really interesting way. And I, uh, I mean, I do think that you know there are going to be aspects of this that uh, that just go away. But sure. you know, I I said online the other day like movies could end full stop. They could end full stop right now. There could never be another movie made. I would never run out of movies to watch that I had never seen before. Like exactly. I literally could do it five movies a day for the next 50 years and I would still not have even begun to crack. And that's only the movies I'm interested in. Uh Like there's no problem here. We, we, we're never going to run out of this particular commodity. Right. No, absolutely not. And also I, they're not going to stop. People are going to keep making movies. The medium is going to change. The terms by which a movie exists will change. We will start to see very interesting artistic outcomes of those changes and as people who are interested in movies, we will come together in new and interesting ways to experience those changes. And that's, if anything, healthy for an art form, right? Like movies have been very similar for a very long time in terms of what the experience of doing them is, you know, like the technology of how they're made changed a lot in the last 25 years. But yep. the process of actually engaging with them has basically been the same since like 1895. So if that changes radically now but metamorphs into something else that's great yeah 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 i uh, think uh but yeah. yeah i don't know we, we we've we've spent our entire podcasting lives talking about this and it feels weird and appropriate to kind of be like yeah and thus concludes that's correct <laughs> the adventures of matt and matt end here yeah um as a, as a postscript, do you want to go about uh, the cook, the thief first or me first? Uh, I'll go. Sure. Okay. Have you seen it? No. All right. It is. Uh, so, you know, I, I, let me just set the stage a little bit. Um, I knew about it. It came out when I was in my last year of uh, high school, 1989. Uh, did not see it at the time. Went on to see the next two Peter Greenaway films, which I liked both very much. One was Prospero's Books, which was based on The Tempest, and I was very much a fan of that. And then uh, went to see uh, a film at TIFF called The Pillow Book of Sai Shonagon, with uh, okay. stars uh, the very magnificent Wang of... Uh, of uh, That's right. Uh, what is his name? Uh, Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor, thank you. Ewan McGregor yeah. and his phenomenal Wang. Uh, yeah. star in that film and he, it's, it gets like ca- yeah, yeah it gets calligraphed on it yeah, yeah. It's a, and it's beautiful it's a really interesting good one. and i was really a fan mm. uh and then i saw a film the next year at tiff called the baby of macon mm-hmm. which is among the only so this was greenaway's film it was his follow-up to pillow book and it was uh it's among a handful of maybe five films that i've been so offended by that i that i i didn't walk out of the film Oh, no, I did. I walked out after about an hour, but I walked out in actual disgust and felt awful and gross by what the movie was presenting to me and like really angry at, mm-hmm. at it. And so I just never went back to see any other Greenaway. And uh, that's what happened with Kim Kai Duck. Yeah, and I, I get it. 
Like, I think there is, you know, for certain people on certain movies, there's a breaking point where you're like, I don't fucking, I don't care about this at all. I mean, that's how I feel about, uh, what's his name? Uh, fucking, uh, uh, high rise dude. Don't like him oh. much either. You know? Yeah. No, you really <laughs> don't. I really don't. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Um, uh, Wheatley. Ben Wheatley. Ben Wheatley. Yeah. Wheatley. Yeah. yeah. Terrible human being. Uh, anyway. Uh, but that's how I, that's how I felt. There's a pretty horrible gang rape scene in baby of Macan that goes on for like a half an hour and is compounded by the fact that in the reality of the movie, the woman who is quote unquote, really being raped. Like it's very strange. I, I'd have to explain the whole movie to kind of get into it, but it's awful. And, uh, and I had had enough, so I didn't go back. So I, but I had always kind of heard about the cook, the thief. It ha- it was made prior to the, to that film. And I was like, well, if I'm going to go back, I think, I want to see this movie. And I also kind of felt like it was weirdly appropriate for the very last show that we were going to do. Cause it felt my feeling about it was that it was sort of weirdly apocalyptic and it, mm. it really is. Uh, it really is this movie of kind of like, I, I cannot imagine a film better suited to the end of the world than, <laughs> than, than the cook, the thief, his wife and her lover. You know, it is garish and grotesque and, beautiful and highly symbolic and highly and really violent and really violent man it is you know horrendous it has an incredible cast uh tim roth uh you know is like a baby in it uh (laughs) the the lover her her lover is played by uh the actor who did the voice for sauron uh yeah 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 and he's really good in it. <laughs> uh, Helen Mirren's great um, and incredible looking, uh, obviously, and really great to watch. Uh, and and uh, Michael Gambon is the most odious human being I have ever seen on screen. It is it is almost impossible to watch him chew scenery like this for that long, because I it, it's like his voice is so grating and evil and gross and like it's incredible <laughs> i don't even really know how to put it other than like like the, within seconds you're like oh my god no no i don't <laughs> want 90 minutes of this no yeah it's 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 fantastic i'm really glad i watched it uh that's great it's, it felt like the end of the world well i mean ironically mine literally was yeah so yeah, so I watched Don McKellar's 1997 film Last Night, which is this his first feature? I can't remember, but as a as it's a director, around. as a director, as a director. it's his first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He did child star so after that. He decides to make a movie about. It's never explained. The world knows that the end of the world will be at midnight on this day, um, and they're all just dealing with it. And it's such a simple premise, but it is so uh, thoughtfully. Uh, executed and just like it really so what's interesting about it the way I described it to a friend of mine this morning was like there is such an anger to it and a a passion and a sadness that I really honestly haven't found in McKellar's other work and I don't know if it's just the outcome of it being his first movie or if it's one of those things where the that if you sit down with the intellectual project of what would this be like and how would I react, how would people react, you would just sort of arrive at this very humanist idea of 
almost a romantic idea of the end of the world. Um, but it's really something. Now, I mean, it's impossible to look at without the 20 years that have that have come and gone since then, at least partially inflecting it. Like, I mean, Don McKellar plays the main character, who is someone whose wife passed away two year, two months before on the same day that they announced the date of the end of the world. And Tracy Wright, who was McKellar's wife, is in the movie. She passed away about nine years ago. Uh, there's a lovely monologue where he talks about the death of his wife, and it's hard not to think about it in the in the lens of what went on and happened in McKellar's life. And obviously, it's next to impossible <laughs> not to watch this movie through the lens of just what's happening right now. Not that we would ever be as lucky as to know COVID-19 will kill us all by midnight, you know, yeah. next Thursday. Yeah. We're, we're living in a very different reality. But, but I, even... I went, uh, uh, sorry, even as I recall, the movie is set up in a way where hardly anyone is in the streets. It, yeah. There's a lot of like, like it's it feels very much like what's happening now. Yeah, it's weird. So there is there are some people who take it as an opportunity to just freak out and they're like they turn over a streetcar and stuff like that. But a lot of people are just sort of like okay with it. I guess they've kind of gotten to the acceptance point of grief. Where they're just like, yep, this is the last day, and I've I've got my plan for how I want to spend the time, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna execute that plan. He's he's not really interested, I guess, as a writer in exploring people who are anguished or or anti the fact that they're gonna die. He's sort of like in this idea space of everyone knows they're gonna die at this time. Let's talk about what some people will do to react to that, and. You know, I, I don't want to give the very end of the movie away, but like, especially in a quarantined environment, the 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 solution that comes up for McKellar and Sandra Oh, who, by the way, Sandra Oh is always terrific. This is far and away her best performance. I've yeah, never really seen is. her do anything as yeah. virtuosic as this. It's incredible. If you're a fan of Grey's Anatomy, if you're a fan of her in anywhere else, you have never seen this person. The way she does it in this movie. No, it's a, it's a brilliant so, performance. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. So, yeah. so the the ending that he comes to for McKellar and and for Sandra O's character is, uh, it's it's correct. It is the ending I would want to believe as a person uh, facing apocalypse right now, and it is it's incredibly touching. I was I was just blown away by it. Like I said earlier, I honestly maybe if I saw this movie in a regular time, I would have given it like, you know, a B plus. Maybe I would have given it an A minus, but uh, today that's an A plus, sir. That's a that's a fucking great movie. Yeah, I feel like there's there's a whole bunch of these things that like, like uh, you know, it's I a perfect example of this is uh, the Soderbergh film Contagion. Sure. Oh boy, that's much more riveting right now. <laughs> I know. Apparently, apparently, I watched that movie in 2016, and I did not even remember that I had watched it because I watched it again this week because of what's been going on. And uh, not only did I watch it again and was like completely, completely bowled over by how great it was and how yep. and how really engrossing it is, I I had no memory of that previous watch of it. So yep. obviously, in 2016, I didn't give a shit about that movie. <laughs> like. <Yep. now> <laughs> You know, just turns out uh, you got to wait long enough, and your and your horrible apocalypse. I mean, how does Fury Road play right now? Oh my God! Like I mean, Gangbusters masterpiece. So it's hard to get better, but yeah, it's it's really good. I mean, Avengers: Infinity War. I got a cold right at the very beginning of my isolation period, so I was homesick with a cold. I'm like, ah, I'm just gonna watch the two uh, Infinity War movies. 
Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Try watching a movie where half the Earth is decimated while you're worrying about half the Earth being decimated. Yeah. Just changes the whole temperature. (laughs) Yeah, the next thing I want to do is Spielberg's War of the Worlds, because I bet that also really plays different now in the middle of this. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even imagine. (laughs) All right. Well, I guess that's it. I guess we're done. You got oh, anything no. you want to say? You got any final thoughts? Let, let me let me say this to you. I, I called you and said, hey, you want to do a podcast with me? And you said, what's a podcast? Correct. And I don't think, I don't think that I, well, I know that I wouldn't be this person that I am now if you hadn't said yes. And I, I, I love you. Aww. And I, I, I have loved doing this, and I, I'm sad that you're stopping, but I also uh, don't, don't wave me away. You know, don't, don't do that. Uh, yeah. But I, but I, I mean, obviously, I'm, you know, I'm happy, very happy for you. But I, 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 I would be remiss if I didn't take a minute to just say, you know, this has been uh, an incredible part of my life. And, yeah, no, uh, same. I mean, it's been you. it's been a life changer. But honestly, just just knowing you and hanging out with you has been a life changer for me. Like, we were doing crazy shit before we were doing a podcast. So, and we will continue. So, you know, the podcast has obviously been a great part of that, and it, it has changed my life in very meaningful ways. You know, even my career in meaningful ways. Um, so I appreciate that. But like, you know, who else can you drive to? North Carolina and back in right. 24 hours. <laughs> and here's to doing that again someday. Yeah, I mean, honestly, as soon as this fucking bullshit is over, we got to go to Philadelphia and get some fucking cheesesteaks, man. Like, yeah. I'm, it's killing me. It's yeah. killing me yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we got to hit Primati Brothers on the way back. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. All thanks. Right. Thanks so much to everyone who's listened to this this silly fun show that we've done and we really appreciate it Uh, we love you all yeah we really do and uh take care of yourselves for god's sake especially right now but ongoing you know i hope that this experience has taught all of us a little bit about the value of uh our community our friendships our touch with one another like literally and and metaphorically it's 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 nice to have a little bit of a gratitude reminder about just how nice it is to be part of the human race once in a while And that's what this is doing for me. Uh, So thanks, everyone. And uh, we'll see you online or maybe in the real world someday. Root beer. Welcome to the podcast. This is the podcast, which is tentatively titled Mammo. We're calling it Mammo because I am Matthew. I'm also Matthew. We're both Matthews. We like the the movies. It's about the movies. We like movies. So Mammo. So we're calling it Mammo. Tedrick.